Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I have for you one of our guests at our speech retreat this weekend, Alex Zitt from Meaningful Speech. So Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, Hallie. Thank you for having me. So tell everyone a little bit about you and your journey as an SLP and into how you became so passionate about gestalt. I'm not even saying it right. Gestalt language. (laughs) You're fine. Yeah. Gestalt language processing. So I've been an SLP for just about 19 years, which sounds very crazy to say. And I've worked pretty much everywhere. I spent a chunk of my career in the schools, hospitals, outpatient, and about 10 years ago that I took a year maternity leave from my school position when I had my first daughter and I did my whole maternity leave, but then I had the whole year and I decided to try to get my private practice off the ground. And that kind of started my whole journey into private practice. So I do own a brick and mortar private practice in the Chicago suburbs. Originally, we specialized in social language, pragmatic. We ran a lot of groups, but what happened to me about six years ago is I was getting a lot of phone calls from parents of kids that were using echolalia to communicate. And honestly, I had no idea what to do about that. I was taught in graduate school that I was to ignore it, redirect it, tell them no movie talk. 
But I always knew in my heart that didn't feel right. And that really was getting us nowhere. And so I started digging around. And thanks to a speech Facebook group that I was in at the time, I came across Marge Blanc's book, Natural Language Acquisition, which was published in 2012. And basically, Marge Blanc has been my mentor since then and taught me everything that I know about Gestalt language processing And um, now it's obviously one of my specialties at my clinic. And I started my Meaningful Speech account and my online business Meaningful Speech with Marge's permission in January 21. And I showcase a lot of Gestalt language processors on there, show a lot of videos. And basically my goal was to spread this knowledge to the speech world because the majority of speech pathologists that I've communicated with over the years have never heard about this, had no clue, were not taught about it in grad school, very similar journey as the one that I had. And so I started thinking, I need to make a course on this. Like people need to understand what to do in therapy. And Marge Blanc does have three courses out on Northern Speech Services. One of the things that I wanted to see when I was learning was somebody doing this, like therapy in action, I call it. And so that's kind of what gave me the idea for my full course. So all of it is me actually doing this with different kids and kind of like walking SLPs through how to do this in their clinic or in their school. And I also have a parent track because I would love for parents to even be thinking like a speech pathologist and doing some of this at home. So that was a long spiel, but that's my whole journey to where I am today. I love it that you reached out and like she's your now your mentor and got permission mm-hmm. like because you said when you started this what in January 2021 like uh-huh. that, I feel like that was when I heard about it and I feel like I've learned so much from you and your Instagram and people that you've educated who are now educating you know and spreading the yeah. word something I never even heard about I mean I went to grad school 14 years ago mm-hmm. I learned as well about ukulele like you know try to redirect it you know all different strategies to prevent it So what is exactly Gestalt language? Yeah. So kids who communicate with delayed echolalia are Gestalt language processors. Basically, what we were taught in graduate school, the majority of us, was that language develops one way in the analytic language fashion. So a kid babbles, and then they say one word, and then two words, and we were on to phrases and sentences. So kid might say ball, and then like mama ball, and then mama get ball. Gestalt language processors oftentimes start with the chunk or that sentence. And then if they are typically developing and move through the stages on their own, um, which a lot of neurotypical kids do, we don't even realize they're Gestalt processors. We might even say that they're late talkers because at three or four, they're kind of talking the way that we expect them to. But in the earlier stages, we might be hearing long, unintelligible strings of language characterized by rich intonation. We might be hearing from some kids movie scripts or lines that they've heard someone else say in their life. And so what the natural language acquisition framework is that Marge Blanc wrote about in her book and and mentored me in is helping kids move from that echolalia to self-generated or original language. 
I guess the point I try to make often when I'm on podcasts, though, is that not all kids need assistance to move through the stages. Like I said, a lot of kids just naturally do this on their own, as do a lot of analytic language processors. And so we don't even really think about their language development. But I will say that if a kid ends up on our caseload as speech pathologists, they are to the point where they really do need assist in moving through those stages. And what would be some key characteristics to know whether or not they need our assistance? I would say if they're two and a half, three years old or older, and they are communicating mainly with scripting or gestalts or delayed echolalia, all those different ways we can say it, and we're just not hearing original language, or they have a lot of those stuck, what I call stuck single words. So maybe a kid that has tons of labels, or they know all their numbers or colors, but they're not moving beyond that. We're not hearing two word combinations. We're not hearing them move in that analytic language development way that we were taught about. So that's another sign. A third sign could be that intonation piece. So we are hearing that exact intonation they got from the first time they heard it on the show or heard the person say it like, go get your shoes. They might say it like that every single time. So that is something that a lot of people don't think about that intonation, but that can be a really huge sign that they're a gestalt language processor. Interesting. What advice would you give to an SLP who gets kickback or feedback from a parent or a teacher saying, what can we do about this child? And we need to stop this echolalia and things like that. Yes. And that's a really incredibly common thing. The majority of parents that have reached out to me since I started my Instagram have said, how do I get rid of this? And that's kind of the mindset of teachers and parents, like make it go away. And I think prior to all of us knowing about it or being educated in it, that's kind of like what we were taught too, right? Like extinguish it, ignore it, redirect it. The problem is that all of what they're communicating with us is very meaningful. All of that communication holds meaning. It's usually tied to their episodic memory. So an emotional experience, which is why that script stuck with them. So when we're ignoring it or redirecting it, we are not acknowledging that meaningful communication that they're trying to have with us. And, you know, unfortunately, I've seen with a lot of older kids just complete shutdown. So we're not hearing much from them at all, or they become very prompt dependent. So we're not hearing any communication unless they're prompted or questioned. And they kind of start to lose what I call their true spontaneous language because no one really acknowledged those scripts. So my advice to people working in schools and really anywhere where they're getting this kind of feedback is just to educate. So I have like a one page Gestalt Language Processing freebie on MeaningfulSpeech.com. I want everybody to have that in their hand. Hallie, maybe you can link to it in show notes. Definitely will. It's like one page. You just share it with the parent or the teacher. And you're like, hey, actually, I think they're developing language in this way. So I think we're going to try this and this to try to get them to original language. And really what it comes down to is parents and teachers just want to know you're going to do something. Once they find out like, oh, well, we can't like erase it, but maybe there's something we can do to shape it into you know, more original language, they'll more than likely go with it as long as you have a plan. 
And again, people are just reporting what they know or they've been told. And that's kind of, unfortunately, the misinformation that's been out there for years. So interesting. And as someone who works with older students, I've been seeing this more and more with a particular student on my caseload. Whenever we've had vacations, breaks, and we have and we have to get back into the routine, he doesn't like leaving the classroom to come to speech with me. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of quotes from movies and stuff. I see a lot of the echolalia coming out because he doesn't know how to express himself to say, I don't want to be here. He just starts quote and he's gotten into, I wouldn't say trouble, but he said some choice things in the classroom at times. Mm -hmm. And I've had to educate everyone saying like, we just need to reshape and teach him new scripts to say that's more more age appropriate and school appropriate than what he's saying. I'm glad you brought that up, Hallie, because this is a question I get a lot. How do we get rid of, you know, scripts with cuss words or, you know, inappropriate things from movies? And again, I think the tricky part is we can't get rid of them, but we need to do the detective work and think about why do they have them? And then what can we model for them? Like you said, that's, you know, more appropriate that matches what they're trying to communicate. So in this case, you've done the detective work, you know, he doesn't want to leave. I think with our older kids, it's hard to be as dramatic as those movie scripts. But we kind of have to play around with how we're presenting things because we want that to stick just like the movie script did. So, you know, maybe we're going to be dramatic or loud, like, I want to stay here or something like that, because our nice, gentle, like, I don't want to leave is probably not going to have an impact on that child the way that that movie script did. So true. And I had to educate the people in the room when I gave him the script, like, and he had to stay, I go, He's going to stay. I'm rewarding him for using the correct language. I go, I'll take him later. I'll move around this session. <laughs> like, I'm not going to ignore his speech session, but I have to reward the appropriate use of language in that moment versus some inappropriate movie lines that he probably should not have been watching in the first place. <laughs> and I think that, you know, just even if you don't know what that inappropriate line means, I just want to let people in the audience know, like, just acknowledge it. Go, OK, yeah, I hear you. Yep. I mean, you don't have to repeat back all the words and everything because sometimes I do say, oh, just repeat the script back. But in this case, that's probably not appropriate. But just make sure you always acknowledge them because some of these older kids too, you know, they're going to get louder or they're going to keep repeating that script. Our younger kids will as well. But I think it's difficult, obviously, when it contains those words you don't want being shouted at the top of their lungs in a classroom environment. What advice would you give to SLPs working with a group and dealing with the group dynamic in this situation? Yeah, so this is really tricky because if a kid is at stages one or two, we do want to be seeing them one-on-one because this has to be very individualized. And I think when you're in a mixed group, it's really hard to move a kid through the stages when everybody's working on different goals. So I know some people absolutely have to see kids in groups. So as much as you can, maybe trying to pair kids that are at similar stages together, I just think it would be so crazy to have like two articles and a kid with executive function and ADHD and then like a stage one gestalt language processor. Like you're not going to be able to help them move along the way that you would if you were seeing them with someone that was similar or in a one-on-one situation. Can you explain, just refresh 
the different stages of the default language processing, just in case sure. someone's not familiar? Dr. Beery Present published basically these stages in a 1983 article, and Marge Blanc coined the term natural language acquisition because she wanted to show that this was a natural process, that this is actually language development and not a disorder. Kids are just not moving through the language development on their own. So the first stage is echolalia. So it's everything we've been talking about, the scripts and the unintelligible long strings of language that may sound like jargon or the stuck single words or the rich intonation. That's all stage one. Stage two is when kids are mixing and matching. So they're taking parts or pieces of different scripts and combining them. So if you think about stage one, like a Lego tower in stage two, you're pulling pieces from the tower and maybe building something else. In stage three, this is what I call the magic stage. Kids are starting to recognize words as units. So they're actually freeing words from those partial gestalts or those longer gestalts. And so in stage three, we start working on two word combinations And it's very similar to our analytic language processors in their first stage. So not to confuse anyone out there, but this is not when they turn analytic because that doesn't happen. But the stage is similar to maybe what a young child would go through when they're learning first words. Stage three is also very referential. So This is when they actually might go through pointing. And a lot of our kids don't actually do the point ball, mama, milk. And we might see that in stage three. And stage four is basically beginning grammar. This is when they are really self-generating its original language. And the hallmark is bad grammar. So we're hearing things like, I fall down. I love to hear bad grammar because that is an indicator. It's their own language. It's not a script. So this can be very tricky for some people because it's like, oh, well, they were speaking perfectly, but that wasn't their actual language. So it may look like a little bit of regression with our older kids in stages three and four, but it's not regression. It's just helping them go through the process to get to their own original language. They're not continuing to communicate with other people's language. So interesting. So, Mm -hmm. so interesting. Even like the pointing and the grammar, like, So fascinating. Can you give us an example of a therapy activity that you might do with a student at one of these stages? Absolutely. So I talk a lot about child-led therapy, and that's what pairs best with this approach. I, you know, I try to educate a lot about getting away from compliance-based therapy. So tabletop, flashcards, what we would consider traditional speech therapy in many ways. And I think while that can be very appropriate for a child working on like, let's say motor speech or something like that, like it's not appropriate at all for working on language development. So I actually encourage SLPs through my social media to not plan, but to just really get to know the child and their interests and have activities available. So I guess I'm touching more upon the older child today. So, you know, with an older child, we're going to want to try to have their session somewhere where there are things available that are of interest to them. So I was working with a high schooler in a school once, and we did the whole session playing basketball in the gym because that's what he was into. And a lot of our kids need to move. And so 
regulation's a whole topic for another time, Haley. But you know, <laughs> I might have to have you come back. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Being in a space where they can move their body and get regulated and just following their lead. So some ideas I've done with older kids is I find out from parents or caregivers or teachers, like, what are they interested in? A lot of it is games or things online. So I've even watched YouTube clips where I'm stopping them and I'm modeling gestalts and I'm just hanging back, listening for their spontaneous language. Really, you can take anything, but you have to make sure it's what that child is interested in. This is not the type of therapy where we're like pushing our agenda because that's not how we're going to move to this self-generated language. So interesting. I love it that you went and played basketball. That's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Like, especially when weather gets nice out, take a kickball outside, whatever. The students will love it. It'll be good. It's good for their sensory input and all that fun stuff. Yeah. It's a brain break. But what advice would you give to like in the school model, students are expected to sit at a desk. They're in yes. a self-contained classroom with 14 other students. What do you say to those teachers or those SLPs feeling like they have to do school-like activities? Yeah, I thank you for asking that. This is a huge problem. This comes up a lot. And I mean, I've dealt with it because I have spent a lot of time in the schools. And I think it really just comes down to education and Some people are going to want to be educated and try to change things and others are not. So you kind of have to work basically with what you got. So we have a couple of school contracts right now through my clinic. And one of my SLPs shared with me that she was at a school where they basically play a video with like a book being read aloud every day. And the kids are expected to sit at their desk. Yeah, I know. I see your face right now. Totally not something I would choose to do. Not every day. (laughs) It's one of those situations where it's like, well, we can't go in there and change what the teacher's plans or curriculum is, right? So she was in there trying to service the student and he grabbed a bucket of Legos and dumped them on the floor. And she just sat on the floor and did them with him while this video was going and he was supposed to be at his desk and apparently got confronted later, you know, by the teacher, like, what was that all about? You're supposed to get him to stay at his desk and listen to this book. And she just took that as an opportunity for educating. And she gave her the little handout and said, you know, I'm trying to get him to this part in his language development. And he was interested in the Legos. And, you know, we're not going to be able to be modeling language while he's trying to sit at a desk and listen to a story being read at him. It's just not appropriate. He showed me what he wanted to do. So, you know, that story may not fly everywhere. I get that. But I think We need to try to be creative and figure out what we can do because this is going to sound like a bold statement, but if we just keep kids sitting at their desk trying to be compliant, we're never going to get them where they need to be language-wise. We're never going to hear their true spontaneous language. It's just not going to happen. We want our students to not be good students. We want them to be good communicators and good members of society in the end. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask a question and I know the answer, but I want to hear your answer. Yeah. How do you collect data with a session like this? Yes. Thank you for asking. I actually recorded an entire bonus module on this (laughs) in my course called data collection. So basically a quick summary is your data is your language samples. 
How do you know what stage a kid is communicating in through your language samples? So you have to get creative in how you're recording language, which I go through in this module. So sometimes if I'm playing basketball and moving around the room, I've got the voice record app on my phone just sitting on a chair and it's recording us the whole time. And I might play five minutes of it later and just type out some of the things I heard him say. And then other times I've got kids that are perfectly fine with me typing on my computer and I'll type down 10 things they say. Other times I have a clipboard that I keep, you know, in the room and I just like walk up to it. Actually, what's funny is that day that I was playing basketball, I didn't have my cell phone with me. I mean, it was like in some other room and I had been all over the school that day. So I actually used the gym dry erase board. And like every however many, I would just walk up to the board and write down what he said and then come back to the basketball. And he was fine with it. But then what I ended up doing is I ran, found my phone, took a picture of the dry erase board, and then erased it. So, you know, sometimes we just have to be creative. I love it. And how often are you doing this? Ideally, I would love to get a few utterances down every single session, but I know that that is just not possible for everyone everywhere. And we need to focus on the child and not data collection. So, you know, yeah. (laughs) I gave up this pump in the air, guys, since you couldn't see that. (laughs) So again, I'm going to tell people, you have to just use your best judgment and figure it out. So if that comes down to once a month only, you can write down five or six things they say, that's better than nothing. We can't collect data every session. Okay, so one last question. So an example like your basketball playing mm-hmm. and your student, you're shooting around and your student might be throwing some ukulele out. What are you doing in these moments? How are you reshaping these situations or his their language? Yeah, so it depends what stage they're at. So I'm going to give some examples from stage one and stage two. But if they're in stage one, basically what they need is more scripts. Just like our analytic kids need more words in their first stage, our gestalt processors need more scripts. That's what they're communicating with. And a lot of these scripts that they pick up are not serving them well. Like these scripts with cuss words for movies, they're not serving them well to communicate with other people in their environment. So what I'm doing is I'm figuring out what are they trying to communicate? That's the detective work. And then I'm coming up with scripts that I call easily mitigable, which means that I can easily move them around when they're ready for stage two. So a lot of times it's those contraction words. So scripts with I'm, that's, it's, but I don't want your audience to think that I'm using carrier phrases. I'm coming up with a whole script, like let's go to the gym. Okay. This kid that's really into basketball, let's go to the gym. That might be a script that I'm modeling or introducing. And then once he's ready in stage two, I'm modeling mixing and matching of that script. So like, let's go see your teacher. Let's go home. You know, let's Cafeteria. go. <laughs> let's go for lunch. Yeah, exactly. I'm taking the script 
from stage one when they're ready and I'm modeling different mitigations or different ways I can mix and match that in stage two. So a lot of the session, what I'm trying to do is listen for how the child is communicating, reading their signs, obviously trying to connect with them. I'm acknowledging what they're saying. And then I'm modeling back you know, kind of what I want to be happening with that language. In stage one, it can get tricky because we don't always know what those scripts mean. So I tell people, you know, if you can't do the detective work in the moment, you're just not sure what that movie line is all about. Just acknowledge it. Like bottom line, just acknowledge it. Yeah. Okay. Or repeat it back if it's appropriate. And you can always model what you think they want to say, but it might not be correct. So be prepared to like have them continue to repeat their own script or some of our kids might get angry, might throw the basketball because we aren't getting what they want to communicate. It might take a few tries. Such great advice. Thank you so, so much. This is so amazing. I hope everyone listening is like so inspired and their brain is racking up and thinking of some students and thinking of some maybe some educators that you need to educate. And if you want to learn more about this topic, I hope you are joining us on Saturday at the speech retreat, because I know I am super excited about learning more about this topic from Alex. So where can everyone learn more about you and everything else that you have to offer? Sure. Thank you. So you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Meaningful Speech. And my course is MeaningfulSpeech.com. And then if you are a parent or someone out there looking for a speech pathologist that understands gestalt processing, we have our NLA trained clinician registry, and you can find that at MeaningfulSpeechRegistry.com. That's amazing. And if people want to be Do they take the course to become on that registry? Yes. And I have all the information for how that would happen for you right on the homepage um, at MeaningfulSpeech.com. It's amazing. So all you you guys listening out there that are hoping to build your private practice and things like Mm -hmm. that, this is something you should definitely look into because it's something we need more and more SLPs trained in to get the word out more and more about. So definitely. Thank you so, so much, Alex. Thank you, everyone listening. I hope you were inspired. I always end my episodes with a joke. So... Why did the singer climb the ladder? She wanted, <laughs> she wanted to get to the high notes. <laughs> okay, I'm cheesy. I'm cheesy. But jokes are language and it helps build rapport with our students each and every day. So I always like to end my episodes with a joke. Thank you so much, Alex, for joining us. We learned so much about this topic and it was so, so needed. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad we were able to coordinate this and yeah. make this happen for all of the SLP Coffee Talk listeners. Thank you for having me. Until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.